This week we are starting our new series, and I am so excited about this series. Um, as was mentioned earlier, it's focusing on how we see the heart of God in the Old Testament, and that's something that I'm really excited about, in part because it's a good mirror to the, the First John series that we just finished, that quite a bit in the epistles of John we saw the, so much reinforcement that, yes, Jesus is God the Father in the flesh. And again, as Christians, sometimes we forget that in reverse. Like we, we think, oh, we love Jesus, and we forget that everything that came before, that is God. That is the same God. And so we just kind of get confused about what to do with that. Another reason that I'm excited about this is because it intersects with something that we've been doing in a group called the Pastoral Cohort. So that's something that our family of churches does. I think this is the, the third year it's been going on. It's the second year that I've participated. And it's designed as like a leadership development group helping to cultivate pastoral thought and depth of spirituality and just engaging with some of these harder things in scripture and developing these skills within people in our bodies. And so there are several of us who are participating in that this year. Um, and we'll have an interest session. We'll have more information about that later on, that it's been split into like a yeah, first half of the year, or second half of the year, first half of the year kind of thing. So we've got a group that started June, July-ish, and then we've got a fresh group that can start in January. So we'll have an interest session about that later on. But I wanted to, again, put a bug in some of y'all's ears as that's something you can participate in and just get more of this deeper study. And one of the things we've been doing this fall in the cohort is using this giant book, Seeking What is Right, as kind of a textbook for us. Um, and it's primarily a history book, and it's showing the ways that followers of Christ have tried to pursue godly lives and especially godly governance, and often the ways that we've failed and stumbled along the way. Or to Put it another way, perhaps more cynically, sometimes it's an exploration of the ways that sinful humans have used flimsy justifications and tried to co-opt God to claim that God is on their side when they were pursuing their own things. Again, it's a, it's a thick book. There's a lot of Christian history going on. But it's all framed through this lens of, well, what do we learn about the heart of God, especially in the Old Testament? And what does it say about who God is? And again, how has this been showing up throughout human history? And the, the second chapter in the book has this title, The 25% Bible. And it's referencing how, you know, we, we have our Bibles. And when we're, when we're reading through it, you know, the, the New Testament starts... What is that? Three quarters through the book? And so as, as Bible-believing Christians, we say, yes, God gave us this, handed this down to us through various people, and this Holy Spirit guided the translations, and we believe that, and then we act like this is the only part that matters for us? It's a bit of a problem, isn't it? But there's a lot of strange things that happen in the first three quarters, <laughs> and so it's a bit understandable. And again, this is nothing new. Yes, it's even harder for us because we're, what, 2,000 years later from the time of Jesus and opposite side of the planet. Like, we are going to have some, some challenges there. But again, this was an undercurrent in Christian history from the start. As early as the second century, there were beliefs circulating that denied that, that Jesus and God the Father 
were the same. There was already this belief that there was like angry, vengeful Old Testament God, and then Jesus is kind and loving. Uh, And so, again, if anybody's got a bingo card for when I preach, you could check off that references the Marcion heresy box. That should be on there. Um, (laughs) We could go down long rabbit trail like, which bingo cards would we have for each person? (laughs) And I really think that the the free space in the center for, like, everybody should be, like, cries during the sermon. (laughs) Like, that's almost universal. (laughs) I don't think I'll make that one today, but... But yeah, even then, people had this misconception that like the Old Testament God was spiteful or petty or angry, like angry for no reason, like again, just aggressive, um, while Jesus is full of love and light. And again, it shows that we're missing out on how God reveals himself in the Old Testament, and we're missing out that Jesus also gets angry. Like there are things that deserve a righteous anger. So it was a misreading of scripture 2,000 years ago, it was wrong then, and it's wrong today. Um, And this week in our small group, uh, we were reading through the first couple of chapters of Luke, and Mary's praise to the Father really struck me, so Mary's song in Luke, and I was just noticing what Mary praised about the Lord. You know, hopefully I got the right verses on here. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. So Mary knew that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is merciful, that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. She knows that God is on the side of the oppressed and the downtrodden and is faithful to fulfill his promises. So those are the qualities of our creator. So we, we say, again, we say that we believe that God gave us scripture, gave us the Bible, but at the practical level, we just sometimes don't know what to do with it. And again, there's plenty of reasons why. And some of them, I might say, like, plenty of good reasons why it's hard. Um, even some of this terminology, like the terminology of Old Testament, I, like, I don't like that language. I just don't know better language. And it's like the convention in Christian circles. So we'll use it. But like this language of like old implies it's like out of date and not helpful. Like we all have the like out with the old, in with the new. And in one sense, it's like, yeah, the covenant with the Israelites was completed, fulfilled. Like, like that part is finished. But God's character is unchanging. Like, we learn about who God is through his interactions with the Israelites. God's character is unchanging. God's character is consistent. So we can learn so much about who God is and what matters to our creator based on how he's interacted throughout human history. Again, even though we know we don't live under the the old covenant made with the Israelites. But then we're left with this question of, okay, so what do I do with it? How do I know which parts refer only to the Israelites and which parts are like moral things that God cares about throughout time? And in one sense, we have the best tool. Well, the best is we have the Holy Spirit, right? Like we have conversations with God. 
and he gave us scripture. We have the Bible. And there's so many places that scripture interprets scripture, that there are things that we can see in the New Testament. Or we could see, like, how does Jesus use scripture? He quotes scripture constantly. He quotes from Deuteronomy. He quotes from the prophets. He quotes all over the Old Testament. And so we have some hints. We have some really strong clues about which things are fulfilled, which things are essentially that was for the Israelites, but not for Christians. There are some things that we have a statement that's basically... Moses allowed you to do that because your hearts were hard. Um, so I'll get, get back to that one in a moment. But there are times that Jesus says, hey, that law was just a start. That was not the ultimate fulfillment. That's like, that's not the goal. The goal is further out, and you didn't make it to the goal quite yet. And then we have things that Paul gives us a lot of guidance as well. Paul writes so much about how then do we, do we live with these scriptures? Which ones apply to us and which ones are, that's for people who are Jewish. And so there's still things that, like, again, just don't apply to Gentile Christians. So there's all these references throughout scripture about how to read scripture. And then sometimes, like, a lot, a lot of times we can look at the footnotes and that gives us a really good clue. So you don't have to be like an Old Testament scholar to know all of the references. You're like, let me read the footnotes. And that points me back to Deuteronomy or wherever. There are other times, though, that specific people are referenced. Like, Elijah is brought up a lot. People reference Elijah. And the modern reader has to stop and ask, wait, who was Elijah? What's the big deal about him? Why are they referencing him? And most of the times that I see references to him in particular, it's not like there's a reference to read all of these books. It's, oh, you have to go find him, find him in scripture and understand that. So the author of, of this book, Ian Proven, said it fairly concisely. So I'm going to read his paragraphs on this topic just to like sum things up. Consider how Jesus himself regarded the Old Testament and how he taught his followers to regard it. In the Gospels, we find him again and again basing his teaching or arguments on this literature, which he refers to on a number of occasions as the Law and the Prophets. He specifically references the Ten Commandments in responding to the rich young ruler. What good thing must I do to get eternal life? This man asks Jesus, and Jesus tells him to keep the commandments specifying five of them, along with the general instruction, love your neighbor as yourself, which is drawn from Leviticus 19. The Ten Commandments are high-order illustrations, it seems, of what it means to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. After the resurrection, Jesus rebukes two of his confused and downhearted disciples precisely for failing to take these same Old, Old Testament scriptures sufficiently seriously when trying to understand their present experience. The central importance of the Old Testament scriptures is emphasized again shortly afterwards in Luke 24:44, when Jesus advises all the core disciples and others that everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the Law of Moses, the Prophets, and the Psalms. If the disciples after the resurrection wish to understand what is happening in the world and in their lives, they must attend to these Old Testament scriptures. If they, and we, are to understand Christ, it is to these scriptures that they must go. Jesus himself sends them to that resource. And so there at the end, he's referencing Luke 24, and I wanted us to look at those verses in Luke 24 as well. And so that's referencing Luke 24, 25 through 27. 
He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And then later on in the chapter, around verse 44, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And I think that it's important that we don't just skim by that he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. How are we going to understand the scriptures without God without the Holy Spirit working through us. So again, there's that reminder, like we need to be seeking God, praying about this, not just thinking, I'm just going to do this on my own. Like it's not on my own. It's a, am I honestly seeking God and praying as I read through scriptures? So Jesus makes it clear he is the fulfillment of the covenant with Israel and the start of this new covenant that we get to partake in. And it's a kingdom truly open to all of us. So there's a few points that I wanted us to go through just to, again, get a really good foundation as we go through this series. Um, so it's basically one point over and over again. God is unchanging. God's character is unchanging. And then we get these questions like, okay, why does it seem that the God of Abraham cares a lot about what fibers are woven together? And Jesus doesn't seem to make a priority of that. And that's because we, we, we kind of miss out on what the law of Moses was supposed to be about. And again, I don't think we should feel bad about that because that was even more thousands of years ago, still on the other side of the planet. And so there's just all kinds of things going on that are not part of our context. So it does take some work, and that's okay. So one of the things that we really have to work at is understanding how do I put the law in its proper context? Well, God's character is unchanging. God speaks to his people in languages and contexts that we understand. And he sets us apart as a holy people. He transforms our cultures and our attitudes to be more like what we're created to be. I know that was a, a mouthful. I put on my notes. I probably say that sentence twice. So I'll repeat myself. God speaks to his people in a language and context that we understand. He sets us apart as a holy people, and he transforms our cultures and attitudes to be more like what we're created to be. And so we start seeing that in the law of Moses, where he's setting apart his chosen people in ways that are distinctly different from the neighboring nations. And so much of what we see in the law of Moses is essentially re rejecting cult practices. Now, I don't know how many of y'all are super familiar with ancient Babylonian worship, you know, like, that's not something we, like, study for fun. Um, and so a lot of times we just don't see it. Like, we don't know what the religious practice was. And so we're like, I, I, what does that matter? And so we have these references to Baals and Asherah poles. And I don't even know what an Asherah pole was. But I put that on my notes as, like, you know, if you have time, look this up. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> A lot of those things, that's why we have historians and biblical scholars. There are people who that is literally their, their day job. Like they devote themselves to understanding these things. And hopefully they write books that sum it up so that 
those lay people can understand. Because um, there's so much more ancient documentation out there. There's all kinds of Babylonian tablets written in cuneiform that talk about ancient religious practices that just over my head. But that's one of those things that as people study that, you start seeing things like uh, prohibitions against tattoos were mainly about cult identity. So it's not like 21st century body art is inherently the same as ancient Babylonian tattoo rituals. It's like they're worlds apart. And then there's other things that are explicitly referenced within scripture as these were about setting God's people apart or applied only to the Israelites. And again, some of these things Paul is quite explicit about. Things like Gentile Christians aren't bound to dietary laws or circumcision. Again, like let's just talk about the entire book of Galatians and see how, how we go with that. So again, God's character is unchanging. God is transforming our cultures. And yet he's allowing concessions to our sins. One of these things that happens in the law of Moses, again, I referenced this earlier, the laws about divorce, um, there's these guidelines for how to make divorce less terrible. Is God saying divorce is good? Not at all. But he's saying, like, if this happens, this is how you make it less bad. And again, in most ancient cultures, women had somewhere between low and no status. Um, and so, especially in these neighboring cultures, there was just this, this ability for, to men to, for men to discard their wives and leave them basically in a state of non-personhood. And so this concession in the law that says, give them a certificate of divorce. It's like, that's, that's better. It's better than what the existing cultures were. Is it great? Well, Jesus tells us, Moses permitted you to di divorce because your hearts were hard. <laughs> and again, there's stronger language that we might translate in there. But it was not this way from the beginning. It was not God's ideal. And so again, I don't know how many of us can relate to that seeing it in our own lives. If I had known where God was sending me when I first decided, yes, I will follow Jesus, I probably would look down that road and be like, that is terrifying, <laughs> you know? Like, as it was, like, counting the costs and deciding to follow Jesus was a huge sacrifice. But at some point, it's, come follow me. And it's like he was taking a axe to my previous personality and the things I, I prioritized. And it seems that as things, as life goes on, he's, like, bringing out the chisel. Can't wait till we get to the sandpaper stage, you know? But like, there's these accommodations to, to our brokenness and saying, you know, the ideal's up here, but if you were aiming for that, you wouldn't even try because it is so hard. Um, so we see these accommodations in the law. So that's one of these reasons why it can be, again, difficult. We read the law and we're like, okay, so is this what we should do? Like, this is what our divorce law should look like? Again, no. Jesus tells us that's not it. So we have to be wise about how we read this, and we have to continue to seek the Holy Spirit to help us understand. God's character is unchanging. I think that's the, the point. Um, he speaks through imperfect people. The Old Testament is full of absolute clowns. <laughs> like, I could probably stand here for two hours talking about just like all of these completely wacky people and very strange things. Uh, I have appreciated the, the seamless study and just like the going through these, you know, these stories in Genesis that were just like kind of skim by and like, wait, he did what? <laughs> and they did what? Again, crazy people like us. 
He's like, be careful about your laughing now. He's like, that's us. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of things that happen in the scripture that are not models of good behavior. We have to be really careful to not just look at them and be like, oh, it's in the Bible. It must have been a good behavior. Like, no. And a lot of them are examples of bad behavior, and there's not a moralistic lesson written at the time. It's not like, this person did this, and it was bad. You're just supposed to know it was bad. Well, if you followed the rest of scripture, you'd be like, oh, I have a sense of, of God's morals there. <laughs> one of them that I think is, is interesting, because I see this one like applied and misapplied in interesting ways. Um, in Judges, there's this story of Gideon, and Gideon is told to do something, and he doesn't trust God. <laughs> and he's like, okay, give me a sign. Tell me what to do. But first, I want you to, I'm going to leave out this piece of wool, and the do's going to happen, and I want the wool to be soggy, but the floor dry. And God's like, okay, fine. Like, he, he grants him that sign. And Gideon still didn't believe him. And so he does it again. He's like, no, now, now reverse it. Do it the other way. Uh, make it where, you know, the fleece is dry and the ground is soggy. No, the ground is dry and the fleece. Like, why didn't he believe God the first time? Is that good practice? Like, if we, again, if we've read the words of Jesus, Jesus reminds us what's written in Deuteronomy. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Later, he says, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of Jonah. So again, not good practice to be putting God to the test. And yet, we see that kindness and compassion that Jesus offers Thomas when he's doubting. He says, here, touch my hands. God grants us grace and kindness in our weakness. So that is a good part of the nature of God. Like, I love that. But we don't test that. Uh, it doesn't give us an excuse to demand signs and put God to the test. God continues to speak through imperfect people throughout Scripture. We see God working through people in spite of their flaws. And those flaws themselves are strengths. So that's what Paul writes to us about in 1 Corinthians. Uh, brothers and sisters, Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. God uses imperfect people, and that is, one of, that, is, that is a feature. That is one of the strong points. God's character is unchanging. God calls everybody. Like God's call is to all people, and he's then mediated that through a chosen people. And so, again, sometimes there's this impression that, like, oh, in the Old Testament, only the Israelites were called. And yet, when, in Genesis 12, God makes a promise to Abram, I will make you into a great nation, I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So there's this blessing given to the Israelites that is meant to be shared. When the Israelites were freed from slavery... They left Egypt with what most translations describe as a mixed multitude. 
I liked how the New Living Translation described it. They described it as a rabble of non-Israelites. <laughs> it's a rabble, 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 rabble. So there's that mixed multitude that happens at the Exodus. And then when we look through the genealogy of Jesus, we see specifically Rahab and Ruth mentioned. Even though women generally didn't show up in ancient genealogies, they were both examples of people who were grafted into God's family. Now, again, there's a couple examples that are like, I'm just mentioning it, Rahab and Ruth in passing. There's a whole other story that's worth telling, but not today. So we, as disciples of Christ, we don't hoard God's blessings for ourselves. We invite others into the kingdom. God's character is unchanging. And Paul writes in 1 Timothy 2 that God wishes that all people be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So let's be sharing that with others and not keeping it just for ourselves. So I feel like I could again go on for days about this. Uh, yeah, that's three quarters of the Bible, right? Like how long do we have to talk about it? We're going to do this series for what, five, six years? Yeah. <laughs> I think that's almost enough for the introduction. Um, but I do want to say, like, again, I understand that a lot of what happens in the Old Testament is really weird, really hard. And if there are specific things that are in your brain of like, what's going on with that? Be in conversations with others, you know, like share that with us, share that in your small group and invest in this. Like this is the type of thing that the more you invest in reading along, then the more you'll get out of it. Um, but the last thing I wanted to bring today is God's nature is unchanging and it is such good news for us that God's nature is unchanging. Uh, God fulfills his promise. God is faithful. And I wanted us to look at Malachi 3. And I want you to look at what God's pointing out, like in this prophecy, what the Lord is saying. Um, and again, it starts with those things that we might think are angry God. But look at what is upsetting God. Like, look at what offends him. I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. So because the God of Jacob is unchanging, because God is unchanging, the descendants of Jacob were not destroyed. Because God is unchanging, we can trust that God will bring justice against those who abuse and oppress people. We can trust that God will make things right. We can trust that God is good and doesn't punish us according to our sins. Otherwise, we would be destroyed. What good news is it that God's character doesn't change? So let's pray. God, we praise you for your goodness, for your faithfulness, for how you fulfill your promises, for how you're faithful to your people, and for how you bless us so deeply. Help us to seek your heart and to serve you. We love you. Amen.